loving God, the source of our joy, as we turn our hearts towards your word, we ask that you would soften us. Soften the calluses on our hearts. Weave yourself in between the cracks in our spirits and plant hope where there is room. And as you do this, like flowers towards the sun, we will turn ourselves towards you. Eager to hear a word so good that we cannot help but ask ourselves, how can this be? With openness and gratitude we pray, amen. Is there anything better than seeing these steps full of young ones? Our gospel reading for this first Sunday of Advent is Luke chapter 1, the first 23 verses. Listen for what the Spirit is speaking today. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too have decided, as one having a grasp of everything from the start, to write a well-ordered account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so you may have a firm grasp of the words in which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God in his section, turn, section's turn of duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know that this will happen? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. But now, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. 
And when his time of service was ended, he returned to his home. The Gospel of the Lord. When I think of the weariest time of my life, I think of the death of my Uncle Paul. Paul died in 2005 at the age of 50 after a recurrence of melanoma. He was the third son that my grandparents had to bury, Nathan and Alan, before I was born. But Paul's funeral was the hardest I had ever been to, and that still remains true this many years later. And part of the difficulty of the funeral was his early death. The other part was just how sick my grandmother had become. Grandma Schultz knew struggle throughout her life. She was one of the first open-heart surgeries ever performed at the Mayo Clinic in the 1950s. She had a stroke when I was quite young, which impaired her physically and emotionally for the rest of her life. And here, 20 years later, she was facing the end of her own life and about to die. And with both Paul and Grandma near the end, I remember praying, God, Please take her first. But that was not to be. Everyone at Paul's funeral was weary. I think especially of my mother and Paul's widow Deb and, of course, Grandma. Reverend Gordy Bowman preached at Paul's funeral, and it remains one of the best sermons I've ever heard. He preached on Psalm 70, which says, I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my hope and my deliverer. And I thought, that's exactly how I feel. Gordy didn't give us any platitudes. He acknowledged how painful Paul's death was. He didn't try to make sense of it. He named our pain and weariness. And after doing so, he pointed out that Psalm 70 also says, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And he said, how can we possibly be asked to rejoice at a time like this? And I remember the tenderness in his voice. He said, I know, beloved, but it's in our times of deepest sorrow that we must hold on to the promises of God and nevertheless rejoice. How does a weary world rejoice? Welcome to Advent 2023. Advent is my favorite time of the church year because I think it is the perfect, it is the quintessential experience of the Christian life. It should be Advent all 12 months of the year. Advent means arrival. It's a season that anticipates the arrival of the birth of Christ. But of course, we know Christ has already appeared, hasn't he? 2,000 years have gone by since the advent of Christ, and yet we are still a people waiting. We are still a people longing for the coming of God. We always sing at the beginning of Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. This, this song, this year in particular, is uniquely painful to sing because of the events going on in our world. Because though we sing about peace on earth and goodwill towards all on Christmas Eve, the reason these carols strike our hearts so deeply is because we live in a world with so much conflict and so much contempt. And so the advent of Christ has already come, yet we are still waiting 
for the advent of the peace that Christ promises to be realized by all. And so we live between the advents, and that can make one weary. Luke's gospel is written to a weary world, one in which the promises of God had been already come and yet were not realized by all. And this much we know, that something extraordinary happened in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And that, in and of itself, is quite remarkable. That a peasant teacher from a backwater town in Israel had such an impact on the world that apparently several people had already undertaken accounts of writing about his life. And yet, he never picked up a sword, nor wrote down a single word himself. Having spoken to all the eyewitnesses, Luke gives us his version of the events, saying, hey, I've got a grasp on everything from the very start. And interestingly, Luke doesn't begin with Jesus as an adult like Mark does, nor does he begin with the birth of Jesus as Matthew does. Luke begins a little before that with an old priest and his wife who knew the pain of infertility. Some of you here know that pain, too. It's a club that no one wants to belong to. And unless you're in it, I don't think you can really understand it. And Zachariah and Elizabeth knew it all too well. Or as I like to call them, Zach and Liz. (laughs) And of course, infertility for those who are wanting to have children, it's painful at any time. But in the ancient world, it carried a religious stigma as well. Infertility was understood to be a curse from God. And people wondered, and they'd done something wrong to deserve this. But Luke reassures us this is not the case. He says, Zach and Liz were righteous before God. And this is the first of many hints that Luke gives us in his gospel that God is not a punishing God. And God is not looking for reasons to smite us. Yes, Zach and Liz were infertile, and it wasn't their fault. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but whatever you think about the causes of your own suffering, I can promise you this. God is not a punishing God. Old man Zach gets his turn to serve as a priest, offering incense in the temple. And this likely would have been a once in a lifetime opportunity for him to bring incense before God into the holy place as a symbol of the prayers of the people. I always wonder what is it that he was praying for? As a priest, he would have had his liturgical prayers, his script, his responsibilities. What was on his own heart that day? Was he just going through the motions? Did he still dare to pray for a child? Or had the weariness of life worn him down such that he no no longer had any expectations? Well, whatever his prayers were, something happened to Zach that day, something that even as a priest he never expected. God showed up or more specifically, a messenger of God. 
And this reminds me that sometimes God shows up in the most unlikely of places, even when you're praying in church. It's hard to imagine. I know. As a child, uh, the worst part of the worship service for me was the prayers. And I would pray every week, God, please let this end. (laughs) And I assure all of you, kids of all ages, eventually they do. Zechariah is scared out of his wits and the angel says to him, don't be afraid, your prayers have been heard. Elizabeth is going to have a son. You will name him John and you will have joy. I love that part of the promise. You will have joy. You who've been worn down by years of disappointment will rejoice once more. Joy is a fascinating word, one that is often associated with this Christmas season, and I wonder how you define it. I usually think of joy as uncontrolled elation, whereas happiness I think more of as a state of being. But however you define it, it's important to recognize that joy and sadness dwell together. That was the the message of Pixar's wonderful movie, Inside Out, that as we grow up, we come to experience different emotions at the same time, and we learn that joy and sadness are not opposed to each other, but each need the other one. Ross Gay is a poet who, in his most recent book, Inciting Joy, asks the following. He says, what if joy is not only entangled with pain or suffering, or sorrow, but is also what emerges from how we care for each other through those things. What if joy, instead of a refuge or relief from heartbreak, is what efflorescences from us as we help carry each other, as we help carry each other, carry our own heartbreaks? Zach and Liz discovered that joy and grief belong together that the deepest joys we will ever know emerge from sharing our heartbreaks with each other. That true joy doesn't come by putting on a happy face or making the best of things. True joy only emerges in sharing our weariness with those who care for us. Zach and Liz had each other, and they shared their grief with God, and in time, unexpectedly, they knew joy again. And sometimes that's all we need to know, to know that the sorrow will not last forever uninterrupted, that we will know joy once more. The first step back to joy is to acknowledge our sorrow, to share with others just how disappointed and weary we are, to not diminish our pain or dismiss it, but instead to acknowledge it. And when we do that, we discover we're not the only weary ones. We live in a weary world. That's the world Christ was born into. It's a beautiful place that will take your breath away and break your heart all at the same time. One in which an infertile couple is surprised by joy and one in which 
My grandmother buried her baby just two months before she died. Both of these belong together, the sorrow and the joy. Not long before she died, I went to see Grandma in the hospital, and Grandpa was there with her, and I held her hand, and I said, Grandma, you sure have seen your share of hard days in your life. And she smiled, and she looked at my grandpa, and she said, we've seen some good ones too. See, the psalmist is right. I am poor and needy. Hasten to help me, O God, and let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. The sorrow and the joy belong together. You who are weary will know joy once more. For long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Beloved, the morning may not be here yet, but I promise you this, the night will not last forever, for light and joy are returning. And so while you wait, acknowledge your weariness and hold on to the promises of God and rejoice, for Christ is coming. Amen.